Hello, my beautiful Tropicanas. Welcome to the Ricardo Project, the podcast where we watch through I Love Lucy episode by episode and talk about its historical, comedic, and emotional impact. My name is Dana, and I am thrilled to be here today to talk about episode 17 of season one, Lucy Writes a Play, which premiered 70 years ago today on February 4th, 1952. Fair warning, I love this episode more than I love most people, and I won't apologize for it. So let's get into it. Here's what happens in Lucy Writes a Play. We open with another iconic Lucy look. This time, she's giving liberal arts student realness with a pencil-thin tie and a white button-up. She's typing away for a bit before she stands up and goes into one of the best examples of mainstream mime that I can possibly think of. She begins to silently act out what she's writing. And as a person with a degree in both theater and writing, I promise that we actually do this. It's basically a science at this point. That's how you get the best work. Ricky comes in and starts bragging about himself while Lucy is fully, albeit still silently, acting out a scene. There seems to be a sheriff character or at least an old confident man with swagger, which in my mind is the defining characteristics of a sheriff. There's some sort of disagreement with the swagger sheriff, both arrogant, but also afraid. Maybe that's two different people. It's hard to say. What we do know is that the swagger sheriff walks away from his enemy, and he appears to be shot in the back. Lucy, as the swagger sheriff, stumbles backwards, climbing over furniture, rolling on top of Ricky. She looks down, and we see that the swagger sheriff hasn't been shot, but has been impaled with a sword. (laughs) Lucy mimes seesaws the sword back and forth in her wound before dramatically dying. Oh boy, it is just wonderful physical work. Ricky asks what Lucy is doing, understandably, and she awakens from her Tony Award-winning performance as the Swagger Sheriff and Co. to announce that she's writing a play. After all that, she leaps up and runs to the typewriter and types three words, and the play is finished. (laughs) It turns out that this is for the fabled Wednesday Afternoon Fine Arts League, the legends themselves, for a women's club play contest. Lucy summons Ethel upstairs with a precious little stomp on the floor to shave in a haircut two bits, which is my favorite Who Framed Roger Rabbit moment, but I digress. So Ricky, being pretty intelligent, quickly figures out that he's supposed to star in this masterpiece theater, which Lucy insists isn't true, but that's kind of ruined because Ethel bursts into the room, dressed like a character from a bad telenovela, singing freaking Carmen at the top of her lungs. It turns out her character in the play is a Spanish senora. And I was all ready to point out that Carmen takes place in Spain, not Cuba. And why is a Spanish senora in Cuba? Yada, yada. Ethel, know your geography. Before remembering that um, Cubans speak Spanish because Spanish imperialism colonized Cuba in the 1500s. So um, my bad. Good on you, Ethel. You know your history, I guess. Ricky agrees to participate in a quick read-through, just to hear how it sounds. The play is called A Tree Grows in Havana, which features Lucy as Lucita. Great work there with the name. And Lucita is the plantation owner's daughter, in love with Fernando, a tobacco picker, obviously played by Ricky. Ethel plays, and I quote, Lucy's old crone of a mother. (laughs) This run-through scene is wonderfully vaudevillian. It has tons of typos that Lucy is constantly correcting on the spot. Ethel is butchering Spanish pronunciations. Ricky comes in for his scene eating a sandwich because he got bored. Nobody but Lucy is treating this like the great work of art it clearly is. Ricky 
finally has enough when Lucy has written in the exact way that Ricky says, don't, don't, into the script. He says she's making fun of him and she insists that she isn't. But then Fernando has a monologue about how he's going to sing a song called Babalu and Lucy's forced pretty quickly to confess that he's been meant to play the role. And he refuses very quickly. So later, Lucy is looking into other actors, but having a hard time getting anyone who will work for free. Ethel comes in and she says she's got the perfect actor for the role, saying that he's a real Latin lover. And my next note on the episode just says, oh God, Fred, because my beloved Fred comes in again, singing Carmen, dressed as a conquistador meets a bullfighter. It's a wild choice. This whole episode could just be called White People Make Mistakes About Cuba. Anyway, luckily, the episode presents their understanding of Cuba as ridiculous, and the joke is that they're a bit out of touch. So while they are treading in stereotypes, I do believe that the joke is firmly on them, not the culture. But maybe I'm being too easy on them. Let me know. I, you know, I love this episode so much that I, I firmly believe I have blind spots about it. So Lucy is really bummed out by this casting decision because Fred's Spanish is uh, not good. She says it sounds like Ricky speaking English. And that's especially distressing because a big movie producer, Daryl B. Mayer, is going to judge these. And more on him when we get to the historical notes. They decide to switch to a British setting so that Fred can work in the role. And very luckily for all of us, their British is just as terrible as their Spanish. Lucy demonstrates hers with my favorite joke in the episode, where she says, Afternoon, Mater. Peter won't be down for tea today. We just bedded him. Had to, dead you know. And they're off. <laughs> we cut to Fred adorably practicing his lines when Ricky comes in and asks him to spend some time with him, but Fred declines because he's got the show to do. And he tells him about Daryl B. Mayer and... Ricky is an opportunistic punk, and he takes my sweet Fred out of the running. This is a moment where I'd like to address something. Is Fred a great husband? Absolutely not. He's mean to Ethel. But he is better than Ricky in many ways, because he actually believes in Ethel's talent and in Lucy, and he's not a snob about it. And at least so far, Ricky only cares about Lucy's passions when it benefits him. Ricky and Fred each have what the other one lacks. Ricky loves Lucy in a romantic way, and Fred supports both Ethel and Lucy in their dreams and their daily joys. In The Great Husband Showdown, I'm not sure who's better, actually. Maybe it's a race to last place. I don't know. Anyway, Ricky goes to rehearse, and he wants to surprise Lucy. Of course he does, because otherwise he'd have to admit that he sucks right now. But he doesn't take the new script, and we all know where this is going, because Ricky already has a script but it's the Cuban version. So it's the night of the show. The play preceding Lucy's is called Pearl One Drop Two or Much Ado About Knitting. And I'm sure that that play sucked, but honestly, that title is unbelievably good. So A Tree Grows in Havana has been renamed The Perils of Pamela. And this is the greatest disaster in the world. I actually found this scene on YouTube and I linked it in the show notes because you gotta watch it. It's amazing. They're all dressed like Paul Revere is about to alert us of their presence. Ethel is wearing a powdered wig. <laughs> Lucy cuts through one of the flats because she can't get through the, the stage door. And then she whips the couch with a riding crop because her character rides horses. 
they're all clearly inspired by the quick-witted writing of like a Noel coward. This whole thing feels super Noel, like a cross between Noel and Moliere, but I don't think that they know they're doing Moliere, you know? Just when the play might be getting on track, Ricky comes in, but not as the British Reggie, as Fernando, the Cuban tobacco picker. Lucy tries to get back on track with ad-libbing, but Ricky just messes it up and he sticks to the script. It's unprofessional, frankly. Like, Ricky, you're a professional performer. Read the room. They pull the curtain and they agree to change so they're all doing the same thing and Ricky runs off to prepare. Lucy and Ethel start over as Cuban, but this time Ricky comes in as the British Reggie, looking like a red coat, and he's kicking the air like a dandy and he yells, anyone for tennis? And it's ruined. The credits roll as Ricky, flabbergasted, yells, what happened? And that's the episode. Okay. I'm not trying to be a fangirl, but this episode is perfect. Even the cringier moments, of which there are plenty, are tempered by the equally cringy performed Britishness. And by making their British even more over-the-top and embarrassing than their Cuban, I truly do believe that the hierarchical discomfort is mediated like, they're equal opportunity stereotypers, if you will, and in this episode, that's enough for me. Again, I fully believe I have blind spots about this episode, and I'd love to hear from you. But really, I think this episode is amazing. It's wonderful to see Ricky so inept, because not only is Desi Arnaz so funny, and it's it's great to actually see him get to stretch his comedy wings, and he plays Innocence really well, but I think it can't be underestimated how important it is to have episodes where Lucy gets an opportunity to be disappointed in Ricky. It's a role reversal that keeps the show from devolving into a Lucy punching bag. And I think that's really important for the longevity of the show. Because in order for the show to still be watchable in a, from modern sensibilities, it can't just all be, oh, look at how silly Lucy is. And so these episodes are amazing. And it's a real testament to the skill set of the cast that the show doesn't need Lucille Ball to be a disaster in every episode for the show to really sing. And this episode totally proves it. It's vaudeville meets Noises Off meets Noel Coward. If you liked this episode and you aren't familiar with any of those references I just made, I will link them in the show notes so that you can keep enjoying these. Um... I think we're all familiar with Vaudeville. Noises Off is a farce that was written in the 80s. It's a play. It's excellent. It's um, a really accessible modern version of a farce. It's done all the time in American theater. It's really, really good. I'll link that below. And Noel Coward is kind of the master of wordplay. Last week when we were talking about Tallulah Bankhead, she was became very famous for a lot of his work. And they are all all of these influences, the farce, the vaudevillian style of the mime at the beginning, the wordplay of Noel Coward, these influences are really felt in the episode at, at large. And it's, it's, it's just got broad absurdism that is so wonderfully performed by everyone. It's the kind of comedy that requires just impeccable mechanics and commitment. It is the very best of I Love Lucy. This is the magic going Full steam. This episode is such a joy from start to finish. It's near perfect. It really is. And on a personal note, <laughs> this episode made me want to write again. Like, I've always loved this episode, but I wasn't expecting to feel so creatively fortified by this. 
It sounds really reductive to say, like, oh, the episode where Lucy writes a play made me want to write a play, but the truth is it did. I said at the very, very beginning of this project that I was hoping that rewatching this series might get my creative juices flowing again, and this one really has. <laughs> I've scheduled time to go to the library this week and start writing this play that I've had in my mind for years. And it's because when I watched this episode again, I realized that this is the style that I want to emulate. It was an example of what I wanted to be doing with the play I was writing. So I ordered some Noel Coward plays and a new copy of Noises Off for inspiration. And it's exciting to feel this way again. And I think that that's what makes great art. And, and make no mistake, I Love Lucy is great art. Because it provokes a big response. And for Lucy, that's often laughter. But I think many of us can relate to being inspired by the show. And today, I've, I've been inspired. To me, even though this is like the absolute silliest of the silly, it shows how this little sitcom, once again, is elevating the form and knows what it's doing and knows what it's talking about. It knows its references. I just can't recommend it enough. I genuinely believe that it's the best episode of the show that we've watched together so far, and it's maybe one of the best ever. It hits every single beat. That's enough waxing poetical. Let's hit some historical notes. We have a first. This is the first reference to the Wednesday Afternoon Fine Arts League, which will be present for quite some time um, in the series. I believe it morphs eventually into the Society Matrons League, but the Wednesday Afternoon Fine Arts League is a huge part of Lucy and Ethel's social lives. There's also a reference at the beginning when Lucy is talking about becoming a famous playwright where she accidentally says Tennessee Ernie instead of Tennessee Williams. And I'm sure a lot of your ears perked up because Tennessee Ernie um, is Tennessee Ernie Ford, and he'll come back as a recurring character very soon. He has two episodes, I believe, in season two, and then he also features again when they are going across country to go to Hollywood. So it's fun to hear him reference so early. And finally, a little Hollywood history. Let's talk about the Daryl B. Mayer reference. I'm sure you noticed if you were watching along that when they mentioned that Daryl B. Mayer was coming, a lot of the audience chuckled. And that's because that's a joke reference to Louis B. Mayer, who was uh, he was a co-founder of MGM Studios, which was Lucille Ball's studio for a long time. And I would argue that he was the most important person in her early Hollywood. He was incredibly famous, probably, honestly, one of the most iconic people in Hollywood at the time. Everybody in America would have known who he was, um, even if they weren't particularly clued in. He was very influential in the film industry. And, you know, just for full transparency, he was also super gross. Won't get into it. Um, just know that he wasn't that great, but he was one of those names that everybody knew. It's actually interesting that he's referenced right in this because this is 1952 and in 1951, Louis B. Mayer was actually ousted from MGM. So I don't know if that's why the audience laughed a little extra because like, oh, Louis B. Mayer is out of a job now. And so now he's, you know, judging. Uh, he's <laughs> So now he's judging women's club contests. I'm not sure. Or if it was just the recognition. He was a very controversial figure. I would say, honestly, like, you know, like a, like a Weinstein before the Me Too movement exposed him kind of person where like everyone in the industry knew that he was 
kind of a jerk, but, you know, he was still very well known in outside of Hollywood as like a very influential, powerful person. So he also was the founder of um, the American Motion Picture Academy, which um, founded the Academy Awards. So he's a very big deal in the history of Hollywood and in Lucille Ball's life. So that's it for this episode. It was unbelievable. Highly recommend watching it. One of my favorites. I go back to it all the time. It's just perfect. Like I said, I will link a couple of scenes in the episode notes, and I'll also link um, a couple of books about Noel Coward. I'll, I'll link to Noises Off. I'll, I'll link to a few of the references that we made. I actually, sorry to constantly talk about bookshop, but I made a bookshop um, list of things that I reference in the show. So, so, so for example, since I referenced Noises Off and Noel Coward, books, you know, their plays will both be in this particular playlist. So if you're listening to an episode and you're like, oh, that sounds interesting, um, I'm going to start linking to those now because citing your sources is important. And um, you can go ahead and, and, and take a look at those in the shop. And that's a great way to support a local small business and also to support this podcast. Next week, we are talking about breaking the lease. And here's the log line for that. The Mertzes are having a fun, music-filled evening with the Ricardos, but when the Ricardos continue singing after Fred and Ethel go back downstairs, the Mertzes as landlords quickly grow tired of the noise, and this leads to a feud between the couples. So this is the first of many friendship-fighting episodes, which is another one of those kind of I Love Lucy episode categories. I love these episodes. I always love when there's friction between the Ricardos and the Mertzes. I always love the way they make up by the end. Really excited to see this one. I have very little memory of how this one goes down. So it'll it'll be really, really fun to watch. So that's it for this week. Thank you so much for joining. Short and sweet. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. It's raining where I am, so please stay dry. And I will see you next week for Breaking the Lease. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to The Ricardo Project. It means more to me than you know. If you'd like to get in touch with me for any reason whatsoever, I would absolutely love to hear from you. You can reach me at thericardoproject at gmail.com or on Instagram at thericardoproject. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be honored if you would subscribe or rate and review this on Apple Podcasts because that helps more folks find the show and it personally makes my day. If you didn't enjoy this episode, I'm 100% certain you're not listening and that's okay. I'm not for everyone. I hope you have a wonderful weekend either way. Stay warm out there. It is February after all. See you next week.